0: I'm going to open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get right into the word and, and, uh, and be blessed. Father, I thank you so much uh, for the spirit that's in the room. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, we celebrate you today. It's not our birthday. It's your birthday. We celebrate you. We ask that you feel our appreciation, our admiration, and our affection in these few moments, these precious moments that we give you, Lord. Before we go and open presence and give presence, Lord, we want to be in your presence, we want to enjoy every minute of it, every moment of it. And I thank you for what you're going to speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Turn to your neighbors, and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. <laughs> um, if you don't know me, by the way, I, if I, don't, I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Pastor Derek. Everybody calls me PD. Say, what's up, PD? What's up, PD? Appreciate that. This side over here is really excited. You guys good? Okay over here? Just making sure. Uh, You know, I was, uh, this time of year, this particular message is, uh, you know, I've been speaking a long time, speaking almost 30 years, but this particular message is one of the ones I sometimes, to be honest, not the most excited about, not because I don't like to preach or talk to you or share the word of God, but just because, uh, you kind of know what's coming. You know what I mean? He's going to talk about, it's not like I'm going to talk about the crucifixion or the resurrection, you know, or some hot topic. We're going to, we're clearly going to talk about Jesus' birth and there's only so many ways to do that. And so I, uh. I was praying. We put together this series, and this is the third kind of installment of the series. So if you're interested, you want to get the whole thing. It's two weeks back, and you can kind of catch up later. Um, But I was thinking about how to do it in a different way. And typically, the story is told through like A couple of lenses, Luke 2, Matthew 2, maybe a prophecy in Isaiah or something like that. But I believe God wanted me to talk about it through the lens of the gospel of John. Now, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. My dad used to say, hold the horse while I get on. That's how you remember it. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels, which means they're similar. All the stories are similar. John's a little different, and the reason that it's different is because the writers of the first three Gospels did it in about a year, but John had a three-year kind of um, writing of the book of John. So that's why there's different stories in the book of John and different insights in the book of John. John 2, John 5, John 9, you don't see any of those stories in the other Synoptic Gospels. But more than that, John, he zooms out on the biblical narrative and the story and life of Jesus. And so we're going to try to get into that a little bit and and help you see that it's more than the the nativity story. It it can even begin before that. Are you with me, everybody? Did you guys know, by the way, that for many, many, many years, they had a live nativity scene uh, at the Capitol in Washington? Did you guys know that? And not too long, but very recently, they took it out. And uh, by the way, it was not for religious reasons. It was because they couldn't find three wise men in the whole capital. <laughs> or a virgin. <laughs> whatever. Oh, sorry. Whatever. Delete that. Delete that. <laughs> a lot of donkeys. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, stop! 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 In the name of Jesus, shut thy mouth, pastor. Move into the Word of God. <laughs> but as we, uh, we kind of get into this, I was trying to think about how to explain uh, the significance of John's kind of view, vantage point. And, and if you think, have you ever been to a, a Christmas production, a show, a Broadway thing? Anybody ever done something like that, right? I'm talking about a good one, not like the ones that you're like, oh, God. Uh, the good ones. And, and you go, and then you come back, and you tell people about it that weren't there, and then you're trying to describe it to them, right? But you can't. So what you end up saying is, oh, you had to be there, right? And then they're thinking, well, if you'd invited me, I would have. Uh, but that phrase, you had to be there, has anybody identified with that before? Okay, two people raising their hand, praise the Lord. I got a strong crowd. Um, the point is that there's something behind... There's, there's something deep behind that, that we want to experience someone or something uh, personally. There's something about us that knows it's not the same unless it's personal. And, and so John is going to address that in this, in this um, excerpt from John chapter 1. Um, and I want to paint a contrast, a modern contrast To help you with it a little bit, some of you have any of you ever heard of the artist Banksy, the street vandalizer, (laughs) the uh, the graffiti artist revolutionary. Uh, Banksy, if you don't know him, is famous. Comes out of England. Uh, He started kind of an artistic revolution. Um, He he would um, he would do these messages on garage doors, buildings, walls, bridges. Uh, he'd show up, and these incredible scenes would pop up. They would have a social or political commentary or message to them, which I'm not talking about. But he he would do these things, and um, he would do them uh, covertly. He'd pop up, and then he'd go away. He he was in hiding. He was very inconspicuous, and people went crazy over this guy. He ended up winning these huge awards. Um, a documentary. He got an award for 2011, 2014. He was voted person of the year, Webby Awards. Um, His pictures sell for millions of dollars, millions of dollars. In fact, people are so freaked out about this guy. If he did a picture on your garage door, people would come and steal your garage door, take the walls just so they can have a Banksy picture. All right. And what I thought was interesting was this last piece that he did. They're going to show it. Uh, this is one of his pictures on a garage wall. And you've got a fire on one side uh, burning. And the other side, you got a kid eating snowflakes. I have no idea what the message is. But this, is, this one was a big one, okay? And it was on a, a garage wall. And people went crazy. It was entitled Seasons Greetings. And what I found interesting is not so much the pictures, but I found it interesting how fascinated, how humbled, how honored people would be if one of his artistic works was on their wall or in their neighborhood, people like freaked out. Like it was as if Banksy came to town and everybody be talking. Banksy, Banksy was here. Banksy was here. And, you know, it's like Santa Claus came to town, you know, and then he vanished. But everybody was going nuts about that because he himself had come in the flesh. Uh, but, then, but then he left. And I thought about the story of Christmas and I contrasted, and it's not a good one, maybe our perfect one, but think about this. This guy comes, Banksy comes, and he remains anonymous. And when I was praying, I felt like God was saying to me, but God sent Jesus. He came not in anonymity, but he came to reveal himself to all of humanity. It wasn't something that he would do in hiding. Jesus came to earth to reveal himself to you and to me. Are you with me? so that we could know him, and so that we could be close to him. God comes to earth to show us what he's like, and I like what Devin said a week ago, so that we know what to be like. But he's also coming to relate to us. In fact, that's my big idea. Everybody say, big idea. And this is unique, because I want you to see the significance of this, and I'll progressively build on it. Jesus became one of us, so he could relate to all of us. See, you think you need to learn how to relate to him, but I want you to know Jesus loved you so much that he became one of you to learn how to relate to you. He he became one of us to relate literally to all of us. He came not just come down here, hang around here, survey his property, and go home. No, he came here to be close to be intimate with you, to get to know you, and to understand you. And and there's a reason for that. John, how close did he come? Well, John says in verse 14, he came so close that the word, everybody say the word, became flesh, everybody say flesh, Flesh. and made his dwelling, everybody say dwelling, among us. He did it for us. And then it says we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that we serve a God who gives us Grace and truth, not just grace and not just truth, that both of those can actually coexist. They can commingle. that they, in fact, are inextricably linked to each other. You can't receive grace if you won't embrace truth. You can't swallow truth if you don't receive grace. And, and Jesus knows that, and, and that's how he came and, and why he came. But when we think about Christmas, often we, we go to either the Charlie Brown version. It's funny for the older people here. Praise the Lord. I, I like that. Uh, or <laughs> who's Charlie Brown? Uh, some of the younger people. Um, or, or we think about the story through, you know, uh, the prophecies. And, and, and then it comes, eventually, uh, an angel reveals himself to, to Mary. And, and you shall be with child and be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, and this angelic visitation takes place. And, and But she's betrothed to be married to a, a godly, God-fearing, godly man named Joseph. And, and Joseph uh, hears this story that she's been uh, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so he doesn't know what to do with her. And so he wanted to kind of quietly uh, divorce her. And when you're betrothed, even before you finally finalize it in, in the wedding ceremony, you're actually, it's like you're married back then. You, you, don't, you don't break off betrothal, betrothals. And, and so he doesn't know what to do. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, no, it's true. Calm down, Joseph. It's all right. It's the re- she's, she's a good woman. It's virtuous. I'm behind this. But more than that, the angel says to Joseph, uh, you have an assignment, and your assignment is to name this child, and this child's name will be Jesus. And that, of course, know is super significant, and I'm going to get to that, but it also says, and he will be called Emmanuel. Are you tracking with this yeah. distinction as we go forward here? So first off, John unpacks this global picture that Jesus actually existed. In fact, I'm going to read this in John chapter 1. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. John uses this similar term in the beginning in John that we actually see in Genesis. Genesis. In the beginning. So, the same word that was in the beginning that created the heavens and the earth, that flung the stars in the sky, that separated light and darkness, that put the fowl in the air and the beasts on the field and breathed life into man, that same word is Jesus. That same word. And all that metaphysical, cosmological, eternal language that God uses, it's all significant. But this story uh, that he begins to tell about Jesus, he doesn't tell it through how Jesus' human life began. Instead, he speaks of how human life actually begins in Jesus. John 1 is doing that. And the reason he does that is because God wants you to see how large and in charge he is. He wants you to see how powerful he is, but he wants you to see how significant it is that he would leave that and come to us, as my daddy used to say, and divest himself of all his, his priestly robes and his divine privileges. He took all those things off, and, and he took his preferences and his power and his seat at the right hand of God. He left all that, the one who did all that we see in, in Genesis, and he came down to earth to become one of us. It's powerful. It's significant. And so it goes on to say that he was, the word was the light of the world. But then it says this crazy thing. It says, and the light and the word became flesh, it became flesh. It became flesh. It's crazy when you think about it. And so I want to break down John 1 14 to you. These three things, the word, the flesh, that dwelling term. And I think these are gifts for you at Christmas. I think John has something for you that sometimes you don't see uh, and we'll unpack it for you. First is the word, everybody say the word? word. what what? I, I reference it quickly, but the word uh, in the original language that this is written is Greek, and that word means logos, logos. It's where you get like logic from. It's speaking of the written and spoken word of God, something that is written or spoken. And to know someone. The clearest revelation of who someone is or what someone wants or what someone likes is their spoken word or their written word. Are you with me? So that's why God gave us the word because it's the clearest revelation of who he is. What he says, what is spoken of him. Let me are you guys tracking with this right now. Let me say it like this like if you want to know what someone likes, You have you have to talk to them about it. For example, if you were to let's create a hypothetical situation, let's just say since I love food, it's a spiritual gift I have eating. If you were to invite the pasta over your house for dinner, uh, you would you would probably you know want to feed me well. Praise the Lord, and and uh, I was prophesying while I'm preaching. But anyway. Uh, uh, uh you, you'd want to know, does he like? And I've had this happen before. Like, what is pastor like? And sometimes they, these secret messages go out, you know, through my wife or the, my, my assistant. And like, does pastor like? You know, I heard him talk about, you know, Ita- Italian food. He might like Italian food. Or maybe he likes Brazilian food. Praise the Lord. Some picanhas, <laughs> poncho cashew, you know, some things like that. You know, okay. Um, maybe he likes that. Uh... But I'm not sure, and so they're kind of anxious, they're kind of nervous, because he's coming over, he's coming over. And so the best thing for you to do in a situation, like if you just asked me, I would say, oh, absolutely, I love Brazilian. Rice and beans, baby. You know what I mean? It's good. Uh, uh, I'm good with that. Like, as soon as it's spoken, that becomes the clearest revelation of what someone likes. The spoken word, the written word, is a clear revelation of who somebody is. It's the same with God. Are you with me, everybody? And so you can just you can just know who God is by His Word, who is Jesus? Look at his word what and, and, and Jesus becomes by the way, when he becomes a human, he becomes the physical representative per, perfect application embodiment of what we believe, what is written so what 's so cool about jesus arrival on earth and that 's why it 's so important you read your Bibles because sometimes we we, we don't know what we believe. We read something, but if you want to understand how it can read you and how it can do something to you is look how Jesus lived his life because Jesus is the word and he is the perfect representative and application of the word in life. Does that make sense? So it's like, how do I live? Like Jesus, because Jesus is the word. And you could say Jesus is doctrine. The Bible says, watch your life and doctrine closely. So who should you watch? Jesus, because Jesus is the Word, and the Word is Jesus. They're one and the same. Can I have an amen out there? All right, number two, moving right along. Then Jesus says something staggering, or John says something staggering. He says, the Word becomes what? Flesh. Flesh. This is a big point. Now, if I was to survey the room and say to you, um, many of you probably have uh, a church experience or a background, maybe half, maybe more. Uh, And I said to you, why did Jesus come to earth? Even people who don't go to church have heard, again, they heard Charlie Brown's story, or they heard some Sunday school rendition of of this Jesus life. And so if I asked you, why did Jesus have to come? You would say, to save humanity from their sins or something like that, yes or no? Most people say that. And we know that from the word because we see even in the story where the angel said, you shall name him Jesus. For he shall save the world from their sins. So Jesus actually means that. So that is true. Jesus came to save the world from their sins, but it's incomplete. That's not his full mission. Just get your attention with that for a second. Jesus came to the world for two reasons, though. He came to the world, obviously, to save humanity from their sins by dying on the cross for all humanity. But he also came to the world to live life as one of us. In other words, he came to the world to save the world from their sins, he gave his life sacrificially, but he came to this world to live as one of us, to live life successfully. He gave his life sacrificially, that's first assignment, his second assignment is to live life successfully. So in other words, he came here to become one of us so that he could encourage all of us later. It's quiet in here, you guys Okay. So, so this, this idea that when, when he was named, it's an interesting thing, too. The angel of the Lord comes to John, Joseph and says, he, you name him Jesus. It says, that's his name, but you're going to call him Emmanuel. In other words, it's like a nickname. How many have nicknames? Raise your hand. All right. I, if, I don't, if you don't have a nickname and I get to know you, I typically give you a nickname. So my, my assistant, her name is Gretchen. I call her G. Uh, when, when, she, when she blesses me, I call her G-money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when she's dressed nice, I call her G-cute. No, uh, anyway, G-cute. Anyway, uh, uh, but, every, but there's this, this was kind of like Jesus was his name, but at this time, this is what's so powerful, and I don't know if you recognize this, everybody was calling him Emmanuel. He shall be called Emmanuel. And what it was was a declaration, in a sense, to the world of something that was happening. Before Jesus came, when people thought of God, they thought of him as far away, as distant as 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 separated in a sense. And 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 the view of God was very different. Now There's a transcendent God, a God who was there, who is now here, and he is with us, Emmanuel. And so every time they said his name, it was prophesying and it was promoting that there was a God who's not there, but there's a God who's very, very close to us right here. Are you with me, everybody? Why did he do that, pastor? I'm glad you asked. Why did he live 30 years uh, before, he had a three-year ministry, but 30 years of life. To identify and to understand your struggle. He did that for two reasons. To, I, to understand your struggle. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, that he was tested, tempted, tried at all points. Everybody say all points. All points. All points of life. Every detail of life that you struggle with, Jesus struggled with as well. And then the Bible says, but he never sinned. Listen, listen to me. This is so important. I'm going to unpack this for you a little bit. See, Jesus is, qualifies to be your best friend because he struggled at all points of life, just like you. But he's more qualified to help you because he never crossed the line. He felt it, but he never failed it. He felt everything you felt but he's never failed in everything that you failed in. That's why you need to go to him, and that's why he came to you. Are you with me, everybody? He wanted to be close. Amen, everybody. Praise the Lord. The second reason is he wanted to end religion. Jesus came to end religion. I thought Christianity was a religion. At this this point, probably it was seen that way, but after this point, it's not anymore. Because a person came... A God became a person. So because God became a person, now you can have a personal relationship with God. Does that make sense? Because God became a person, now you can have a personal relationship with God. I want that to sink in. So if there was a conversation at this time, this this would be a hypothetical. Let's say a new convert uh, in the early church experiences Jesus the way he wants us to. They have a personal relationship with him. And now they're interacting with, let's say, a Roman citizen. And the Roman citizen has been observing the the religion at that time for quite some time and is a little confused and says, where do you worship? The Roman citizen says to the Christian, where do you worship? Like, where is your temple? And they say, well, we don't have a temple. We're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, 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 who is your high priest? Like, where are the priests? Well, Jesus is our high priest. He's now the once and for all atonement for sins. He's the mediator between God and man, and he goes before us. So we don't need that anymore, and because of that, now we're a priest. We don't need a priest. We've become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a peculiar people who show forth. I've got to do all of it because I know that King James. Who show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness. Are you with me? How do you know that, Pastor? I memorized it. <laughs> uh, where, do you, where do you offer sacrifices because I know you guys used to offer sacrifices to whatever curry favor from the Lord no we don't have that anymore because Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice the atonement means we can be at one with God now because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross where, what is this religion it's not a religion it's good news by the way sir and it's for you not just for us that's what was happening when Jesus came And so salvation is no longer a theological checklist. It's not a a political tool. It's about something that, that doesn't happen outside of you. It's about something that happens inside of you. But what happens is people's view of him will affect their relationship with him. And that's why I want you to see this right, and God wants you to see this, because he identifies with your struggle, and he wants to end religion once and for all because he wanted you to have a personal relationship with him. And so Jesus decides to leave the throne of God and suffer and struggle and go through all that stuff. Why? For you, because he loves you. God wasn't up in heaven, become a human, because he was lonely. It's because he's loving. It's because he's loving. And so now you and I can have confidence that when you go to him, the Bible says you can have confidence And go before his throne of grace in your time of need. Why? Because he understands. Turn to your neighbor and say, he understands. understands. I was recently not wanting to, but kind of drawn into a battle between a husband and wife. As a pastor now many years, I don't don't do a lot of counseling anymore. Just kind of once in a blue moon. Praise God for help. And this particular gentleman was like, I know you don't do counseling, pastor, but I'm having a little merit problem. And the wife's right there. She's right there. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to get in the middle of this. You know what I mean? Like, this, this looks like a setup. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been in these situations, you know? Sometimes you're there. Sometimes you're not there. Sometimes you hear about later. One party comes to church. Here's the pastor's message. Then goes back and says, pastor said you're supposed to blah, 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 blah. You know who you are in here. But this was right up close. And so this guy's like, all right, you know, here's what's going on. I'm like, hey, listen, man, I don't understand, but I know this. I know Jesus understands. And he goes, well, he doesn't understand marriage. And then he looks at his wife like this, and she looks at him like, you know, it's like, I'm like, you want to think about that question for a second? He doesn't understand marriage. Do you know who Jesus is in the Bible? Jesus is the groom. And you know who the bride is? the church, the bride of Christ. How many times, you think Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to deal with a difficult bride, sir? (laughs) Do you don't think he, he even knows what it's like to be with an unfaithful bride. So he wouldn't have it. He's like, yeah, but he doesn't know what it's like to have kids. You should see my kids, little minions. I said, you want to think about that question for a second? Jesus is God, and God is Jesus, and God has all these kids who can be extremely disobedient. And, he, and he's just, everything he kept coming with, I'm like, you don't, you don't get it. Jesus understands all of it. Jesus understands what it's like to have family problems. Any of you guys ever have any family problems? Don't raise your hand right now for that, because you're probably sitting with your family. You know what it's like when a certain family comes over for the holidays? You're like, oh, boy, here they are. How many have one psycho in your family? One psycho. Just raise your hand. One psycho. Raise your hand if you, there's one psycho in your family. All right? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, if you're not raising your hand, you might be. I didn't say it. I just said you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> See, family problems. Jesus, he had, he had brothers and sisters. Jesus had four brothers, two sisters, minimally, that we know of. Six, okay? You don't think, he, he, 30 years he lived as a human, everybody. I don't think you catch that. So he, he knows what it's like for a brother to tape, duct tape another brother to the bed. <laughs> he knows what it's like for a brother to hold his other brother down underwater so he almost drowns. Jesus walks over on the water and pulls him up. You know what I mean? Like, he... He knows what it's like to be like the favored one and everybody hates him. They're all fighting, brothers and sisters, and then the mother comes in and says, Why can't you be like Jesus? (laughs) He he, he was a human. That's all I'm saying. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be rejected by his family. Listen, he's going to church and he's in church, and, and, and the people come to him and say, Your family's outside. And he said, your family wants to see you. He says, they're not my family. Have you ever felt like that? Like you don't want to claim your family as your own? And you read that and like, that's so mean, you know? And he's like, he's like this is my family. Y'all my family. Church my family. Those people out there, no, they ain't my family. You know why he said that? Because they were out there only moments before going around saying, Jesus, he used to be a good carpenter, but now he's crazy. He's, he's lost his love and mind." That's what they were saying about him. Have you ever felt like that sometimes? Have you ever felt like you're the one that everybody thinks is crazy? Raise your hand. So you didn't raise your hand earlier when I said there's a psycho. Now I got you. There you are, okay? But good news, Jesus understands when people think you're crazy. (laughs) Can you have fun? He understands pain. The Bible says in Isaiah, in the prophecy, it says that he was familiar with pain. He was filled with emotional pain. He was filled, he's familiar with rejection. He was, he's familiar with having his heart broken. He's also familiar with physical pain. I think we forget sometimes he became, he, he left all that he had so that he could identify with your struggle so that he could end religion to the point where he died. He was tortured to death. That's how much he loves you and cares about you. And what I love is Hebrews chapter 2. It's not in your notes anywhere. I just put it in after. And, and this is what I read in my Bible just a couple days ago. It's Hebrews 2.17, it says, It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for the angels. It was for people like us. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as a high priest to get rid of all the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. Later it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become, oh, this is awesome, merciful. See, your view of God determines your relationship with God. Some of you don't see that God's not not up in heaven as a judge. He's up in heaven as a merciful advocate, intercessor, mediator for you. He's like, no, 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 I don't care what this this, this, uh, recalcitrant angel is saying right now. These, these are, these are my, these are my people and God, they love you and they're under attack and I, and I'm, I want to stand in the gap for them. And he's, there's a prosecuting attorney and there's a defense attorney and the defense attorney knows what you went through. He's experienced your struggles and your pain and he, as a result, he has a merciful heart towards you. He's not trying to get you in trouble. He's trying to get you off the hook. He's trying to get you ultimately off death row. Because all of us deserve death because of our sins. And so he goes out of his way. He comes in total vulnerability, not as, uh, he comes as an infant. I wouldn't have come to earth like that. I would have come in the grandest sci-fi movie that ever existed. A Star Destroyer, laser light show, Darth Vader, but in white. I am your God. You know, I mean, I would have... Bow. You know, that's how I would have come. I would have come during the Super Bowl, halftime, whole world's watching. That's not how Jesus came. Jesus came as an infant. Crazy. In a no-name town of Bethlehem. In a, a, you know, a stable. It's insane when you think about why did he do that? He came in total vulnerability so you could have ultimate approachability with him. That's why he did it. Think about this. I was writing this in my notes. The one who would later defend the weak comes in weakness. The one who would cover the sins of humanity was uncovered and exposed on a cross for all humanity. The one who cares for all initially came needing care from others. The one who holds it all together In the palm of his hand is now a baby needing to be held together. See, Jesus shows us what God looks like and is like by becoming a human. And it's underestimated all the time. So you can come to him, you can go to him because he came close to you and he understands. He understands. Number three, final point, are you with me? He also, this is amazing. And John was very clear about this and purposeful. He says, he dwelt among us. When John uses this word, it's no accident. He's separating, in a sense, he's distinguishing words. He's like, he doesn't say he came near. It says he came to dwell with us. In the Old Testament, the word for dwell is tabernacle. It basically means to be with us and in us. See, near, you're near people right now. But you're not necessarily dwelling with those people. You're shoulder to shoulder, hundreds of people in this room and people listening online. You're near people, but doesn't mean you're with people. You know what it's like. I live in a community with hundreds of people in that community. I can throw rocks at their house, thought about it a couple times. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily dwelling with those. I can have people in my dwelling place, in my living room, in my kitchen, even in my bedroom. You could be in the same bed with somebody and still be miles apart. You know you can be near, but not necessarily with or dwelling with someone. Jesus came not to just be near you, to hang around you. Some of us, that's all we've allowed him to do. Some of us have basically said, here's the Heisman, Holy Spirit. Here's the Heisman, Jesus. I'm not letting you come in, but he, I want you to know, and I go on record saying before you, and you're responsible for this, he came to dwell with you and in you. Are you with me, everybody? And there's a painting on the Sistine Chapel. There are many drawings there. There's a Genesis account with nine stories, and there's of the Genesis account. But one of the most famous ones is this picture of God and Adam on the Sistine Chapel, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. You can put that up. And if you have, how many have seen this picture before? Raise your hand. Okay. Some of you haven't seen it. You need to get out more. And and so this is this has been around a long time. Uh, praying for you. There's prayer after church about that. Um, but this painting, <laughs> I'm kidding, this painting of God and Adam is famous, and it, it has in it a theological contrast that at the time, people probably didn't fully grasp, because the notion that the, the common thought that people had back then is, it's our job to first pursue God, that we are called to make a disciplined pursuit of him. But this picture, this rendering of this relationship of God with humanity is actually consistent with what we see in the scriptures and what some of you have experienced for yourself is that it's not your disciplined pursuit of Jesus that brought you to him. It was his disciplined pursuit of you. He was was coming for you. Jesus came for us. See, God is stretching to add He's reaching, he's, he's pursuing Adam. How's Adam, everybody? Adam's like, eh. man, I did a lot of bench today. and My arms are tired. I don't know if I can uh, do it today, spend any time with you today or touch God today. You know, I think I'm gonna, it's just very, very laissez-faire, very, very lazy, very, very indifferent, very whatever attitude. This is a depiction of the modern, the modern church sometimes. We sometimes we do we're not responsive to God's incredible pursuit of us. Some of us are just like, we don't see him, right? And so then we're just, we're just whatever to him. God is God is crazy, madly in love with you in spite of you. And you know what it's like to have some of you who have children. Like there's times where you 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 you, you just want to you know them, but other times. In spite of that, you just you're so madly in love with them that they can be the most mischievous. Uh, my, my little grandson Ezra, it can be so mischievous sometimes. I'm just like, how did so much of that get inside this little boy at three years old? It's unbelievable. And seconds later, I'm just I could suck the life right off his face. He's so cute. And it's not even that's not even a pinky touch of what God is like towards you. It's not even close. It's not even close. He is stretching, reaching. He is pursuing us. He's reaching out for you. Listen to me right now. Right now. And sometimes he does it by the Holy Spirit and directly. And sometimes he does it through people. And sometimes he does it through circumstances. But he's always doing it. He's always pursuing us. I heard this quote. There's an infinite qualitative distinction between God and humanity. And yet in spite of that, God can't get enough of you. So what I what I kind of dreamed about was that you would be able to have a Christmas in spite of the tradition, in spite of the common familiarity of the story, that you'd be able to have a moment before you went and and, and broke bread and and, and exchanged gifts that you could have a moment with God in the service. So I want want you to stand to your feet and I'm going to go back to this classic story as I wrap up the Advent season in this particular series. And I want you to just pay attention to me as best you can right now. I was looking at Luke chapter 2 and I was reading it and it says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. And I was thinking about these shepherds. There was something special about them because they were getting ready to have a moment with God. They didn't know it was coming. They, didn't, they maybe didn't expect it. But they were getting ready to have a moment. And there were conditions that preceded the moment with God. And let me say this to you. If you're listening and you're still there, there are, there are conditions that precede a moment for you, just like them. I I think they were out in the fields and the city was far off. The crazy, the nuts, the loud, the chaotic, the mess. I think they came out of the mess and because of that, they were able to have a moment. They didn't know it was coming, but that was the conditions that preceded the moment. They had to leave the mess. Some of you, you need to make a decision Christmas Eve to walk away from the messes in your life, the sin in your life, the toxic choices in your life. The unhealthy decisions in your life. Some of the relationships that are just, you know they're not what God has for you. Some of you need to walk away, make a decision to walk away from that mess. In essence, if I can put it in a strong word, but it's all over the Bible, you repent. You say, I'm sorry, God. I want to walk away from that mess. I think these shepherds were out there, and they were pulling away from the mess, and it was quiet. And I think they were looking up into the stars, and and, and they were seeing the sky, not even knowing that in just a moment there was going to be this incredible thing. And the Bible says right after that, then in that condition, out of that mess, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They have this (laughs) Shazam moment. This God moment that literally changed everything. And that's what is available to you and me. And I got to tell you something. I don't want to be a preacher that has just eloquent speeches and words and crafted statements. I know right now that the only thing that really changes people is not what I've said before, but what happens right now next. And it has to do with, are you prepared for that moment? Are you ready to receive what God has for you? These... Shepherds were ready to receive because they were out of the mess. They had a moment and then God gave them a message. And the message was this: the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Everybody say good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. I'm encouraging you with every head bow, every head bowed, every eye closed in this room. Sir, sister, ma'am, brother, leave the mess. Have a moment. Receive a message. Leave the mess today. What is the mess you need to leave today? You know what that is. Make a decision in your heart. Make a decision in your mind. I am not going to live like that anymore. And I'm going I'm to live a different life. And to receive what God has for you, to have that moment, you're going to have to say something with your mouth. You're going to have to say something out of your mouth, confess something out of your mouth, and believe it in your heart. And for those of you who have never received what Jesus came for, a personal relationship with you. He became a person so that you could have a personal relationship. If that's you today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your savior, but also submitted and surrendered to him as Lord today, this is what I want you to do. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just me and you and God. Most importantly, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to go another Christmas not being in relation relationship all over the room. God bless you. Good and high, so I don't miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Thank you. Over here. Yes. Yes, in the front. Thank you. All the way in the back. Thank you so much. Good and high. Don't miss it. Don't be shy. God, God sees your hand. God sees your hand, and he sees your heart when you raise your hand. God bless you. That's so good. You can put your hand down. Church, would you just pray this prayer? We're going to pray for those people, but I'm also going to pray for you. But join them in this. Would you just say this? Say, Jesus, today is a new day for me. I'm asking you, God, to help me, to give me the courage, to give me the strength, to leave the mess, to leave the sinful life, to make better choices that honor you, God, that honor your will, that live by your thoughts and your ways. I dedicate my life to you today. I repent of my sin and I thank you today I invite Jesus Christ into my heart to save me from my sins but I also surrender him as Lord I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life in Jesus name now father I pray for every person who prayed that prayer I thank you for this moment where lives are changed at a heart level now may it manifest in their life as well. Lord, speak to them good news now. They received good news. It wasn't just for some. It was for all, but they received it for themselves personally. We thank you for the mess that has been removed. We thank you for the moment that we've had right now, witness it to them. And we thank you for the message of Jesus Christ that changes the world. We thank you for what you did on Christmas. And all the church said, amen. And amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? God bless you, everybody. And Merry Christmas.